0: two short but sweet pieces of scripture this morning for us. The first is Romans 5 verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And the other reading today is from John 16, verses 12 to 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what me what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from you what is mine, take from what is mine, and will make it known to you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: A leg up here. <laughs> a bit random. <laughs> Maybe it's something precious to somebody. <laughs> Just can I move this out of the way? I won't break it. Right? There we go. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you. Lord, as we consider today, your nature as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We pray for your light to illumine our minds and our souls. For your name's sake. Amen. So, I've mentioned to a couple of people this week that I'd be preaching on the Trinity today, because it being Trinity Sunday, and their reaction was the same. It was something like this. You know, some, some expression of, wow, that sounds really difficult, uh, a little bit of sympathy, perhaps. And my response in each case was, preaching on the Trinity, that's not difficult, that's impossible. (laughs) So, how can we talk about the nature of God, one in three persons? You know, we just cannot possibly hope to get our heads around it. So, thanks a lot, I'm off now. (laughs) And it's partly because we don't have the words to describe God, isn't it? God is not a, an object, God is not something created like us, God is our creator. So, how can we as created beings possibly hope to have the vocabulary uh, to put into words the nature of God? This week I was reading a newspaper article about uh, Peter Roget who created the first thesaurus, at least I think it was the first, a famous thesaurus. So, one of those books that contains lists of lots of different synonyms. So, you can look up a word. You'll be aware of this, Martin, with your writing. (laughs) You can look up a word and it'll give you lots of alternatives to that word. So, you can add a bit of colour to your writing or perhaps uh, express what you want to say more accurately. And the article suggested that one of the reasons Roger decided to make this thesaurus was that, as a student, he'd attended a lecture by a philosopher on things that were slowing the progress of knowledge. And one of those things was the imperfections of language, both as an instrument of thought and a medium of communication. In other words, our language simply is inadequate both to think and to communicate truth. Our language can only go so far in describing God. But it's not just a linguistic problem. It's a conceptual problem, isn't it? We simply can't understand how God can be indivisibly one, a whole, and three at the same time. We cannot get our heads around this. And there are lots of analogies um, around. I'm sure you know a few analogies to try and express the nature of God as Trinity. So, I expect you've heard of the shamrock, uh, a little uh, plant that has three leaves. Or perhaps um, water that can be ice and liquid and steam depending upon the temperature. So, you know, it's one thing but it's got these different... uh, incarnations, as it were, to coin a phrase. (coughs) Or perhaps you've heard the one about, I'm one person, but I am a daughter to my parents, I'm a wife to my husband, and I'm a mother to my children, all at the same time. Um, So, that's another analogy people have come up with. Um, My favourite of these analogies is probably a chord of three notes. Each note is distinct. but together they make a chord that wouldn't be the same chord if one of them was missing. Anyway, these illustrations do help to a limited extent. They help us to begin to grapple with some of the the difficulties in trying to think about God, but ultimately, they are, at best, inadequate and, at worst, heresy. (laughs) Whoa, Whoa, indeed. (laughs) But the main thing, I mean, I'm not going to go into all the heresies right now. Go on. No. (laughs) Maybe after after tea and coffee, we can talk about heresy. (laughs) The main danger with any analogy of the Trinity is that they tend to reduce God to the level of a logic puzzle. And that's the main problem. So, you know, those sorts of puzzles that say you're on the banks of a river and you've got a a wolf, a goat and a cabbage and you have to try and get them across in a single boat. How do you do it? That sort of thing. That's kind of what we're doing when we're trying to get our heads around the Trinity. Of course, God isn't a logic puzzle. God is being. God isn't just any old being, but he's creator. He's saviour. He's not a cabbage. (laughs) So, why should we bother trying to think about God as Trinity if, ultimately, it's impossible to understand? Well, it's because that is who God is. It's because God is Trinity, and we have this urge to get closer to him. We have this urge to try and understand him because that is who he is. God is three in one. He is the triune God. It's not just a clever doctrine that people came up with in the third or fourth centuries to impose upon Christianity. People came up with the Trinity because that was their experience of God. So, if we think about the first Christians, so Paul and his mates, Paul knew that there was only one God. Because the main thing that set Judaism apart from all the other pagan religions around was that God is one. There was no other. So, every day, Jews would recite this fact and they continue to do so. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so for Jesus and for his disciples and for the early Christians, this was absolutely foundational. So to suggest that there might be two or three gods would have been heresy. And that's the testimony that continues throughout the New Testament as well. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet, these early Christians, these early disciples of Christ, had seen Jesus crucified and risen from the dead. And so they realised that the reality of this one God, their one God, could not be separated from God's love for the world in Jesus Christ displayed in his resurrection and God's life-giving spirit. And so in our passage from Romans that Dave read for us, for example, and there's lots of other examples in the New Testament, Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him through our Lord Jesus Christ we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand so we are reconciled with God the Father only because of Jesus's sacrificial enactment of God's love and so the early Christians started to think well actually they experienced this sense that Jesus Christ was absolutely crucial in this enactment of God's love. And how do we know the transforming power of God's love? It's through the Holy Spirit, who, Paul says, has been given to us, through whom God's love has been poured out into our hearts. And, of course, this was the disciples' experience at Pentecost, which we celebrated last week. But even for those who were not in that room when the Spirit came, The Spirit continues to be present. The Spirit continues to guide our hearts towards the truth. The Spirit continues to glorify Jesus Christ and to lead us into communion with God. And so, the early Christians knew that God was one. They also knew that Jesus Christ was Lord, and they knew this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Trinity eventually came to be the only necessary conclusion, the only explanation they had for this experience that they had of God. So, I think when we're thinking about the Trinity, perhaps our starting point shouldn't be a static image or illustration. A better starting point would be a story. Once upon a time, we were all gathered together on the bank of a river, or perhaps not a river, perhaps the English Channel, and we fled from our country, which has been torn apart by war. We've lost everything. We've lost our homes, we've lost our family, we've lost our friends. We've lost everything that we have, everything. All that we carry with us is the trauma of what we've seen and what we've gone through, a sense of shock, a sense of loss. And we've just been trying to survive. And so here we are on the shores of the Channel. It's dark and it's windy and the sea is rough. We can't even see across to what there is on the other side. But we know that to return would mean certain death. There's a logic puzzle for you. And it's a logic puzzle that we all face at some point in our lives, some of us perhaps more consciously than others. We cannot cross. We cannot return. All we can do is cry out for help. And then in the distance, we glimpse a wooden boat appearing on the horizon. And gradually, it gets closer and closer. And we realise, as it gets closer, that it's not a boat. It's a gigantic wooden cross, floating on the surface, propelled by a boatman. It's big enough to take all of us and more. And some of us think, whoa, that doesn't look safe. I don't think I want to trust myself on that. But some of us, especially those of us who feel most hopeless and most desperate, some of us clamber on to this huge cross. And as the boatman pushes off, we feel a huge surge of relief. We know now that we are safe. We know we can trust this boatman who has been sent to us in answer to our cry. We know that this strange, strange craft that we are on is solid and it will carry us safely to the other side. And even though we still can't see clearly what there is over there, we know somehow that it will be good. We know we'll be safe, we know we'll be warm, we know we'll be dry. We will become citizens of a new country. But as we go, the wind is still blowing. The sea is still rough. And perhaps it gets rougher. And occasionally, we're swamped by a wave. It stings our eyes. We splutter. We worry that we'll drown. Are we really as safe as we thought we were? And then we feel the boatman grasp our shoulders. Here, he says kindly. And he fixes an oxygen mask over our face. And we breathe in. We know that all is not lost and even when we're submerged underwater and it stings our eyes and it drenches our clothes, we breathe in the oxygen, we breathe in life. We know that we will reach the other side. We know that we have hope despite it all. Friends, I can't explain to you the Trinitarian nature of our God, but I can describe for you the story of the saving love of our Trinitarian God. It's told again and again in the pages of this book, but it's also told again and again in our hearts, when by the grace of our triune God, we realise that we're saved by him through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. God loved the world in such a way that he gave his Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children and that we no longer live in fear. Shall we pray? God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we acknowledge before you your greatness beyond our comprehension. All our efforts to know you are so poor compared to the reality of you and yet in your graciousness you have revealed yourself to us. you have come in the form of Jesus Christ to rescue us, to show us that we are not alone and you have poured out your spirit into our hearts that we may know this. Lord, may we know it more. May we know it
0: more.
1: Amen.